0: forty first paper of the last day of a condemned by victor hugo this librivox recording is in the public domain forty first paper my child looked rosy and happy and her large eyes were bright oh she is so pretty i drew her towards me i raised her in my arms and placing her on my knees kissed her dear hair i asked why is her mother not with her and I learnt that she was very ill, and my poor old mother also. Mary looked at me with astonishment. Caressed, embraced, devoured with kisses, she submitted quietly, but from time to time cast an uneasy look towards her nurse, who was crying in the corner. At length I was able to speak. Mary! I exclaimed. My own little Mary! And I pressed her violently against my breast, which was heaving with sobs. She uttered a little cry, and then said, Oh, you hurt me, sir. Sir, it is nearly a year since she has seen me, poor child. She has forgotten me, face, words, voice. And then who could know me with this beard, this dress, and this pallor? What, already effaced from that memory, the only one where I wish to survive? What, already, no longer a father, am I condemned to hear no more that word? "'so soft in the language of children "'that it cannot remain in the language of men, Papa? "'Yet, and yet, to have heard it from that sweet mouth once more, "'only once more, that is all that I would have asked in payment "'for the forty years of life they will take from me. "'Listen, Mary,' said I to her, "'joining her two little hands in mine, "'do you not know me?' She looked at me with her bright beautiful eyes and answered, Oh, no, indeed. Look at me well, I repeated. What, dost thou not know who I am? Yes, sir, she answered, You are a gentleman. Alas, while loving one being on earth, loving with all your deep affection, having that being before you who sees and looks at you, speaks and answers you, and yet knows you not. You wish for consolation, but from this one being, who is the only one that does not know that you require it, because you are going to die. Mary, I continued, hast thou a papa? Yes, sir, said the child. Well then, dearest, where is he? She raised her large eyes in astonishment. Ah, then you don't know, sir. Papa is dead. Here she began to cry, and nearly let the little angel fall. Dead I exclaimed. Mary, knowest thou what it is to be dead? Yes, sir, she answered. He is in earth and in heaven, and she continued of her own accord. I pray to God for him morning and evening at Omar's knees. I kissed her on her forehead. Mary, say to me thy prayer. I could not, sir. A prayer you do not say in the middle of the day come to-night to my house, and you shall hear me say it." This was enough. I interrupted her. "'Darling Mary, it is I who am thy papa.' "'You,' returned she. I added, "'Wouldst thou like me for thy papa?' The child turned away. "'No, sir. My papa was much prettier.' I covered her with kisses and tears. She tried to escape from my arms, crying. "'Sir, you hurt me with your beard.' "'Then I replaced her on my knees, devouring her with my eyes, and continued, "'Mary, canst thou read?' "'Yes,' she answered. "'I can read very well. Mamma makes me read my letters.' "'Well, then, read a little to me,' said I, pointing to a printed paper, which she had crumpled in one of her dimpled hands. "'She shook her pretty head, saying, "'Oh, dear me, I can only read fables.' But try, my darling, come. Open your paper. She unfolded the paper and began to spell with her finger, Sen. Sen. Tense. Tense. Sen. Tense. I snatched it from her hands. It was my own sentence of death she was reading to me. Her nurse had bought the paper for a penny. To me it had cost more. No words can convey what I felt. My violence had alarmed the child, who was ready to cry. Suddenly she said to me, "'Do give me back my paper. I want to play with it.' I restored her to her nurse. "'Take her hence.' And I fell back in my chair, gloomy, desolate, in despair. Now they may come. I care for nothing more. The last fibre of my heart is broken. Forty-second paper. The priest is kind. So is the jailer. Tears came in their eyes when I sent away my child. It is done. Now I must fortify myself and think firmly of the executioner, the cart, the gendarmes, the crowd in the street and the windows. I have still an hour to familiarise myself with these ideas. All the people will laugh and clap their hands and applaud. Yet among those men, now free, unknown to jailers, and you run with joy to an execution, in that throng there is more than one man destined to follow me, sooner or later, on the scaffold. More than one who is here today on my account will come hereafter on his own. 43rd paper My little Mary, she's gone away to play. She will look at the crowd from the coach window, and already she thinks no more of the gentleman. Perhaps I may still have time to write a few pages for her, so that she may read them hereafter and weep in fifteen years hence. The sorrows of today. Yes, she shall know my history from myself, and why the name I leave her is tarnished. Forty-fourth paper, my history. Note. The pages which immediately followed this have not been found, perhaps, as the next chapter seems to indicate, the condemned had not time to write his history, as it was so late when he thought of it. 45th paper, from a chamber of the town hall. The town hall. Yes, I am here. The execrable journey is over the place of execution is before me and beneath the window a horrible throng laughing and yelling while they await my appearance my efforts at composure were vain when above the heads of the crowd i saw the frightful scaffold my heart failed. i expressed a wish to make my last declaration so they brought me in here and have sent for some law officer to receive it i am now waiting for him so there is thus much gained Here is what occurred on my removal from the concierge jury. At three o'clock they came to tell me it was time. I trembled, as if I had thought of anything else during the last six hours, six weeks, six months. It produced on me the effect of something quite unexpected. They made me cross corridors and descend stairs. They pushed me through a low door into a sombre room narrow, arched, and scarcely lighted by a day of rain and fog. A chair was in the centre, on which I seated myself at their desire. Some persons were standing near the door, and beside the priest and the gendarmes there were three men. First of these, the tallest and oldest, was stout of a red countenance. This was he. This was the executioner, the servant of the guillotine. The others were his own servants. When I was seated, these walked quietly behind me. Then suddenly I felt the cold of steel in my hair, and heard the grating action of the scissors. My hair, cut carelessly, fell in heavy locks on my shoulders, and the executioner removed them gently with his coarse hand. The parties in the room spoke in subdued tones. There was a heavy, dull sound from without, which I fancied at first was caused by the river, but a shout of laughter soon proved to me it came from the crowd. A young man near the window, who was writing with a pencil in his pocketbook, asked one of the turnkeys, What was the name of the present operation? He was answered, The toilet of the Condemned. From this, I gathered that he was preparing the report for tomorrow's newspaper. One of the servants then removed my waistcoat, and the other one taking my hands placed them behind me, and I felt the knots of the cord rolled slowly round my wrists. At the same time, the other took off my cravat. My linen, the only remains of former times, being of the finest quality, caused him a sort of hesitation for a moment, but at length he began to cut off the collar. At this dreadful precaution, and the sensation of the steel touching my neck a tremor passed over me and a stifled groan escaped the man's hand trembled sir said he i beg your pardon i fear i've hurt you the people shouted louder in the street the tall red-faced man offered a handkerchief steeped in vinegar for me to inhale thank you said i to him in the firmest tone i could summon in need as I recovered then one of the men stopped down and fastened a small cord to my ankles, which restricted my steps, and this was again tied to the cord round my wrists. Finally the tall man threw my jacket over my shoulders and tied the sleeves in front. All was now completed. Then the priest drew near with his crucifix. "'Come, my son,' said he. The men raised me by my arms, and I walked but my steps were weak and tottering. At this moment the folding doors were thrown quite open. A furious clamour, a chill breeze, and a strong white light reached me in the shade. From the extreme of the dark chamber, I saw through the rain a thousand yelling heads of the expectant mass. On the right of the doorway a range of mounted gendarmes, in front a detachment of soldiers, On the left, the back of the cart, was a ladder, a hideous picture, with the appropriate frame of a prison door. It was for this dread moment that I had reserved my courage. I advanced a few steps and appeared on the threshold. There he is, there he is, bellowed the crowd. He's come out at last, and the nearest to me clapped their hands, much as the king might be loved. There could be not more greeting for him. The tall man first ascended the cart. Good morning, Mr. Sampson cried the children hanging by the lamp-posts. One of his servants next followed. Bravo, Tuesday! cried out the children as the two placed themselves on the front seat. It was now my turn, and I mounted with firm step. "'It goes well to it,' said a woman beside the gendarmes. "'This atrocious commendation gave me courage. "'The priest took his seat beside me. "'They had placed me on the hindmost seat, my back towards the horse. "'I shuddered at this last attention. "'There was a mixture of humanity in it. "'I wished to look around me. "'Gendarmes before and behind, then crowd, crowd, crowd.' A sea of heads in the street. The officer gave the word, and the procession moved on, as if pushed forward by a yell from the populace. Hats off! Hats off! cried a thousand voices together, as if for the king. Then I laughed horribly, also myself, and said to the priest, there are hats, my head." We passed a street which was full of public houses, and which the windows were filled with spectators seeming to enjoy their good places, particularly the women. There were also people letting out tables, chairs, and carts, and these dealers in human life shouted out, Who wishes for places? A strange rage seized me against these wretches, and I longed to shout out to them, Do you wish for mine? The procession still advanced. At each step... The crowd in the rear dispersed, and I saw, with my wandering eyes, they collected again farther on to have another view. I know not how it was that, notwithstanding the fog and the small white rain, which crossed the air like gossamer, nothing which passed round escaped me. Every detail brought his torture. Words failed to convey my emotions. My great dread was lest I should faint. Last vanity. Then I endeavoured to confuse myself into being blind and deaf to all, except the priest, whose words I scarcely heard amidst the tumult. I took the crucifix and kissed it. Have mercy on me, said I, O my God. And I strove to engross myself with this thought. But every shake of the cart disturbed me, and then I became excessively chilled, as the rain had penetrated my clothes and my head was bare. Are you trembling with cold, my son? demanded the priest. Yes, answered I. Alas, not only from cold. At the turn to the bridge, the woman expressed pity at my being so young. We approached the fatal quay. My hearing and sight seemed about to fail me. All those voices, all those heads at the windows, at doors, at shop fronts, on lamp posts, these thirsting and cruel spectators, this crowd, where all knew me and I knew none, this road paved and walled with human visages, I was confounded, stupefied, senseless. There was something insupportable in the weight of so many looks being fixed upon one. I could scarcely maintain my place on the seat and lent no further attention to the priest. In the tumult which surrounded me, I no longer distinguished exclamations of pity from those of satisfaction, or the sounds of laughter from those of complaint. All formed together a noise in my ears like sounding brass. My eyes read mechanically the signs over the shops. Once I felt a painful curiosity to look round on that which we were approaching. It was the last mental bravado, and the body would not aid it for my neck remained paralysed and I could not turn it. And the cart went on, on. The shops passed away, the signs succeeded each other, written, painted, gilt. And the populace laughed while they tramped through the mud, and I yielded my mind as persons do in sleeping. Suddenly the series of shops ended as we turned into the square. The voice of the mob became still more loud, yelling and joyous. The cart stopped suddenly, and I had nearly fallen on my face. The priest held me up. "'Courage,' murmured he. The next brought a ladder to the back of the cart. I leaned on the arm of the priest and descended. I made one step and turned round to advance another, but I had not the power. Beyond the lamp I saw something startling. "'Oh, it was the reality.' I stopped as if staggered by a blow. I have a last declaration to make, cried I feebly. And then they brought me up here. I asked them to let me write my last wishes, and they unbound my hands, but the cord is here, ready to be replaced. 46th paper. A judge. A commissioner, a magistrate, I know not what was his rank, has just been here. I entreated him to procure my pardon. I begged it with clasped hands, and dragging myself on my knees at his feet. He asked with a fatal smile if that were all I had to say to him. My pardon, my pardon, I repeated, but for mercy's sake, five minutes for more, who knows, my pardon may come. It is so horrible at my age to die in this manner. Reprieves have frequently arrived, even at the last moment, and to whom would they show mercy, sir, if not to me? That detestable executioner! He came in to tell the judge that the execution was ordered for a certain hour, which hour was at hand, and that he was answerable for the event. Oh, for mercy's sake! Five minutes to wait for my pardon, cried I or I will defend myself. The judge and the executioner went out. I am alone, at least with only two gendarmes present. That horrible throng, with its hyena cry, who knows but that I shall escape from it, that I shall be saved. For my pardon, it is impossible but that they will pardon me. Hark, I hear someone coming upstairs four o'clock. The end of the last day of a condemned by Victor Hugo.